0: From the high desert in far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest scoring sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And for this episode, I am joined by the U.S. sports media ambassador to Canada and regular podcast guest. But his this is his first time. I get to welcome him as the athletics Richard Deitch. Richard, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Well, you're really stretching for guests. I mean, Glass Beagle busy. Uh- <laughs> going back to me it's, it's do you desperate streets for you robert but always good to be here
0: uh you know uh so i, I, I couldn't i couldn't get uh, jim miller and john oran so i settled for you
1: that's it's you know just we, we all work for
0: the same when it comes to being on these podcasts uh zero <laughs> <laughs> I, I i could certainly vouch for that so uh uh Let's talk about the, uh, the, the 6 p.m. Sports Center just because, you know, we're two people I don't think we've ever really been in the habit of watching the 6 p.m. Sports Center as any part of our TV media <laughs> diet. Uh, but we have right. certainly been in the habit of talking about the 6 p.m. Sports Center a lot. And somehow ESPN keeps feeding this habit. Uh, today they announced that uh, Stephen A. will take over uh, the 6 p.m. Sports Center during the NBA Finals next month. Uh, and in that release, they added in some, you know, uh, 6 p.m. SC ratings up 9% in April versus last year. Uh, what What are your thoughts on all this? Quick editorial note. I'm not editing any of the content here, but uh, there were a couple of things worthy of noting in this segment that, uh, unfortunately, I did not note in real time. The first is that in my history of dealing with ESPN, uh, they've never tried to pull the wool over my eyes with uh, any, uh, you know, this April versus last April type comparisons. So I do give them the benefit of the doubt and think they deserve it. And uh, at some point in the segment, I I say that the ratings news and uh, does feel like a shot at Michael and Jamel, uh, but I didn't add the qualifier that uh, it might feel that way to me because I really like Michael and Jamel a lot. Back to the podcast.
1: We want to go back to the old Sports Center, the old days when it was just about the highlights and the scores. Oh wait, let's bring in Stephen A. Smith, most personality-driven person on our network. Uh, I'm always amused by ESPN's decision-making uh, when it comes to SportsCenter because, uh, generally speaking, over the last couple of years, they really have no idea exactly what they want, maybe with the exception of Scott Van Pelt, who's been certainly successful in his slot, and I think because they've um, they've allowed him and his producers to truly represent and reflect the kind of show he wants to do and from those that I know at ESPN, is really really good behind the scenes people. So right. when you have excellent producers and you have a commitment from the network that you're going to allow to be who you are, you have a shot. Um, you know, Robert, I know you know this. I know you've said this. I I, I, will, I think literally this will be the 30th, the, the 350 51st first uh, time, or maybe the 700,000 time I've said this. <laughs> the 6 p.m. slot on linear television is dead it is never, ever, ever again going to be destination television for ESPN. The world has changed. This includes cord cutting, cord nevers, the fact that we have immediacy in terms of highlights, the fact that even ESPN itself is going to things like SportsCenter on Snapchat, going to ESPN's Plus streaming service. So work with the whole, and and, and this is something I think most of us who cover this have said long before Jamel Hall and Michael Smith ever arrived there. So that's the premise. No matter who they put in these slots, in my opinion, the slot is essentially dead and will only decline. Now, are there going to be times where we might get some pops and some increases? Sure. And if it turns out that SportsCenter over the next two years just increases, I will come back on your show and say (laughs) I was totally wrong. I misread the market. Um, what is interesting to me here is twofold. One, as you said today, when announcing the Stephen A. Smith um, Anchoring Sports Center, ESPN put out a release that said that the numbers for this, the ESPN 6 p.m. I'll make sure I sort of have this exact, um, are up 9% when you do April over April and up 4% um, year over year in March. Right. Now, Let's make the presumption that they're not playing with the numbers, which networks do a lot, and that these are legit. Here's the only thing I sort of know about this, because um, the guy who put this out, Andy Hall, I had emailed before he put this release out, because I wanted to get some better data. Right. But he sent me, and again, I'm going to check this on my own, and you can check this on your own.
0: I will. In April
1: of, in April of twenty seven and this is, by the way, the average that they're using is T2, so for your listeners, basically... Everybody in the audience who's over the age of two years old counts in this. Uh, right, that's, that's a metric there. You...
0: Yeah, that's Nielsen's standard, uh, you know, total viewership metric.
1: Right, right, and you're you're a thousand times more of an expert on this than me. So, in April of 2017, there were 24 shows that, according to S P N T R fell under the Sports Center rubric. They averaged 483 thousand viewers. In April of 2018, there were 17 shows that averaged. Uh, that that fell under in their in their mind the sports center rubrics so that's one thing to check why the differential. Yeah. And that averaged five hundred and twenty six thousand bucks um nine percent increase. Again, we're talking very small numbers, less than fifty thousand yep. in terms of the overall aggregate. But that's what they put out. Yeah. And if the numbers are legit, they should put that out. My initial questions of course would be, okay, in April of twenty eighteen, are they playing fast and loose at all with any of these draft shows? Where yep. they're saying, like, they're calling Sports yep. Center at the yep. draft or College Game Day Sports Center. Yep. Well, that one there is going to just change your game, change your ratings. Because if you have College Game Day in the Sports Center slot prior to the draft, of course, that thing is going to do massive numbers compared to your average Sports Center. Right. And thus, it's going to increase the viewership. So, again, if, if they're up, I'll tip my hat to them. What is interesting to me, and I think an absolute thing that um, should be pointed out by people is this is sort of an implicit public thing to say that our current grouping is more popular than the previous grouping. It's it's certainly, I think a shot at the Hill Smith sports center, but that doesn't surprise me because Norby Williamson, the executive who's who came in, who essentially changed the Helen Smith sports center. And, yeah. um, and I think both those guys would admit the talent would admit part of the reason they left that show. Um, of course wants to get out there that the numbers are better because that justifies what his uh, re-examination of SportsCenter is. So it's very, very much an inside baseball thing. I'll be curious when guys like you really go in deep in the numbers ESPN is not dumb in the same way Fox and NBC aren't dumb. It is very easy to get other networks to basically give you the raw data. They'll always do this for other shows. That's how this game is played. Not to mention we all have Nielsen sources, et cetera. So I'll be interested to see if if there is, and this is where I respect guys like you, Doug Pucci, Anthony Creepy, people who are, in my opinion, better with ratings than me, to see if it's truly apples to apples. And that's where the 24 shows versus 17 shows thing to me gets really interesting because – as you know, Robert, if you get one show in the Sports Center time slot, that's not like a real sports center, but like sort of a special before the draft or yep. special before an NBA game, it can change the entire metrics of the month. And that's that's kinda how these games are played. So we'll see. I, I thought it was nothing else. It was pretty interesting in that in the middle of this celebrating Stephen A. Smith hosting Sports Center release, they put out these numbers which absolutely would create far more not far more, but it would absolutely create a lot of
0: dialogue. Yeah, it's it's so so that that's a tough call for me. So I, I I'm I'm sort of in the, in on the fence. Like I, I think if they have a good story to tell, they should tell it. Whatever the reasons for it, whether you know that's you know I I think beyond how how Norby feels, you know there if there's a good rating story, you you try to tell it. Um, and, yep. and, and maybe maybe what they did was they tried to do it in a way where where people wouldn't really look at the ratings except for people like you and me. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the uh, what does feel like a poke. Uh, and I think, you know, you said it, it feels implicitly like a poke at, uh, at Jamel and Michael's Sports Center. And uh, I, I, I do understand why people react to it that way. Uh, as for it, the apples to apples. So, there is no way that the comparison is purely apples to apples and this is uh, this is really inside the baseball, but it 's you know it 's my baseball, so uh, i will I will go inside it uh, so at minimum, the difference between this year and last year is this: in the daily numbers, even the daily numbers that you can uh, find uh, you know at uh, around four p m on show Buzz daily uh, the next day numbers. Uh, now contained for ESPN, not all networks, but for ESPN, who has signed up to Nielsen's TAD, uh, ESPN's live plus same day numbers now contain the component that watched uh, through what's called an internet connected device, which are things like Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, et cetera. Uh, So at minimum, there's a little bit of that, that, at least a little bit of that this year that wasn't there last year. Uh, And... uh, you know, the, the questions that I, Andy forwarded me the numbers as well, and the, the questions that I've asked Andy, and, you know, hopefully uh, at some point, maybe by the time I publish this podcast, I'll, I'll get, the, get the answers back, were, uh, are the comparisons, you know, the live plus same day versus live plus same day? Or are they the new TAD, Nielsen, you know, where the mobile numbers come in after a month and right. the, the out-of-home comes in, uh, you know, at some point further down the road? And if, you know, if any of that stuff is in this year, then it's just, then it's, you know, then it's apples to oranges. But if it's live plus SD versus live plus SD, then, you know, then it's then it's down to checking the exact, exactly the kind of thing that, that you're saying. Why were there, why was there such a difference in the number of shows, uh, this year versus last, and uh, you know that that uh, that that's going to take me a little while to dig through.
1: Yeah, and the only thing I would say, listen. I, I'm not saying that the Hill Smith Source Center was great by any means. I've never written that. I mean, people, I certainly respect and like Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, but I'm a realist. That show was not for everybody at all. That said, it's if you as a network are going to put these numbers out there and, in my opinion, imply a certain narrative, they they deserve to be checked and the reasons for that exist, you know, and the reasons for why the increase or decrease happened um, should be examined. But I think, and again, this is not ESPN's fault, Um, and they have to figure out or try something. It's just, it's a very hard television time slot for a sports network to now figure out, because content-wise, what do you do? Do you make it a total preview show leading into whatever you're airing later that night or whatever the big games are of the night? Or do you try to do some kind of recap show where there's not a live not a ton of live action that's been played before? Um, so are you forced to just basically bring on different experts to talk, or do some kind of debate style tele, uh, television, or do you featureize kind of uh, you know mini features to sort of get you through the hour? It's tough. It's the, the, the 6 p.m. sports center once in a while was a powerhouse because you'd come home, you turn that thing on, and it was like the only thing that could catch you up nationally in sports yeah. but that world is over i mean you're you you have you have your own you pull out your phone you essentially have your own television service yeah. there and so it's a very the p in my opinion if you're a programmer the 6 p.m sports center is a million times harder to solve than the 11 or 12 12 uh, 12 midnight sports center
0: i agree with you completely and i would i would solve the problem in a different way i wouldn't have a 6 p.m sports center at all I would uh, I would realize the world has changed, and I would piggyback on to the degree that it's possible uh, with more shows like PTI after PTI, in the hopes of uh, of capturing more of PTI's lead-in. And I, you know, I, I know people are talking about how, how do you bring back uh, Oberman and uh, and Patrick to to uh, to ESPN. Uh, I, and I've said I hate the idea of them doing the 6 p.m. Sports Center because why the hell would they want to do that for 200 days a year? Uh, but I love the idea, of kind of them doing their own show that is not in the Sports Center format and is, does not have the Sports Center brand attached to it at all. Uh, but I also like the idea of trying shows that aren't Sports Center, whether they're you know whether they're Dan and Keith or not. And I think that's the you know they just insist on having the Sports Center and the Sports Center brand there, and uh, and the you know for for me that's fine and I get it. It's a legacy and you know people are definitely used to it, uh, but but it misses. It, it's not even trying to take take uh, advantage of whatever opportunity the uh, the bigger PTI lead in still has
1: yeah i i agree with you in that i think eventually that slot is not going to be sports center i don't i don't know if it's going to be some kind of version of PTI i don't know if it's going to be they're going to try to you know create another you know um you know personality here personality here let's sort of create some kind of show around two personalities i don't know what it's going to be but it's not going to be I, I, you know, I, I would be stunned three, four, five years from now that that falls under the Sports Center rubric. We may get to the point where the only Sports Centers left are some kind of morning. I'm talking about linear television, some kind of morning Sports Center on an ESPN2 or an ESPN, depending on what happens to get up, and some kind of 11 uh, p.m. or midnight Sports Center to recap the day. And then I think you'll see Sports Centers on their streaming service. Uh, you know, maybe the, whatever their new deal is with Twitter, yep. Snapchat. That's where I think you'll see the SportsCenter brand extend. But I think on their linear television networks, I think we're going to see a reduction of SportsCenter over the next couple of years.
0: Okay, so this is this is, uh, this is uh, just a just a fun question, and just go with wh- whatever you think. What will you wind up talking about more in the next year? Get up or Sports Six PM SportsCenter?
1: Like. Like, in terms of like on Twitter writing about it no, or po- like uh, my pe-
0: people asking you questions on podcasts like oh. me
1: because if I'm talking about that in my private life, I should be shocked <laughs> i um, agree i agree uh, i mean no get I'm, i mean no question, get up um when Jamel Hill and Michael Smith ultimately left that show i i've uh <laughs> i mean i could I think I joke about this with jimmy Trina. Uh, i I don't believe I've gotten a single request for the ratings or viewership of that show since Hill left. So I think the interest at least sort of in the inside baseball world is on get up. And there's, you know, there's a million reasons for that. Um, the talent is high profile. The show is high profile. ESPN put out a big rollout for it. There's a lot riding on it in terms of setting up the network's day. Um, so you know, I, I, people are obviously, I think, interested or more interested because the salaries are known uh, yep. regarding those talents. Although, you know, I think people would be surprised how much uh, people make in television that they, they're not, you know, that are not public salaries. So I think Get Up is going to be far more uh, something I discuss. But it's not going to, you know, I hope for, this is the case. I hope it's not sort of a you know, a a daily occurrence for me. It's, you know, I think there are far more interesting things in the space than get up. That said, I I think it's, it's absolutely a legitimate story to discuss given how, how much, how much, maybe not how much is writing per se, but I think how much ESPN extended itself to that show. When you consider the studio that it built in downtown Manhattan the talent, the talent salaries and the marketing roll up for it. Right.
0: What was your reaction to uh I think it was uh, Matt Yoder at Off all announcing, suggesting uh, maybe maybe it was time for uh for uh, Greeny to Greeny to go back and uh, and uh join Golick again now that Francesca uh, Francesa is back at WFAN.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I you know, I like Matt. Um I don't think there's a chance in
0: the world <laughs> that's gonna
1: happen. I mean we're talking about con- major contracts at play. You know, it was my story, um that, you know, probably one of the bigger stories I've written the last couple of years in terms of creating waves about, you know, the behind the scenes tension that were happening in Mike and Mike. And just at a certain point, they were barely acknowledging each other, let alone not talking to each other in breaks, right, exactly. et cetera. Um, uh, and to this day, by the way, no one has uh, uh, and certainly ESPN public account of that story. Um, so I think while. There might be some um, remorse on, and I don't know this for a fact, on the part of the Greenberg camp and the Golick camp for splitting up. There's no way that can happen. Mikey, Mike Greenberg is in a long-term contract, and a ton of money. Mike Greenberg wanted to front his own show, yep. and wanted to be essentially, not necessarily a soloist, but he wanted he wanted his name on the marquee. Um, Golick. Is in a long term or not as long as Greenberg, but in a long term contract himself. I think he likes the spot he's in in terms of he's comfortable with radio. He's working with his son, which I know he really really likes. Right. And and this will be the last thing, sort of on Yoder's part. He's not wrong. I mean, the breakup of that show in hindsight um, was not good for ESPN in that they broke up a very successful partnership. But um, so so can I know. just
0: can I just interject? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, so I, sure. so I think it's important to note that. What I, at least how I view it is that that they they broke it up because that's what Greenberg wanted. I mean, so this wasn't, hey, we have an idea, we want to break this show up. I mean, I I think it I think that the, the you know the 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 talent here agitated for the change. It wasn't the other way around. Like I, I yeah I, I, no, no no
1: you're correct. Mike my, my Greenberg initiated this. Um, it, it was initiated after so many things that we thought were going to happen didn't including the show moving to new york right, including right. the show getting a new studio studio in new york including the show having essentially a rebrand you know in you know not so long ago we remember the press releases about mike and mike was going to be in new york it was going to um sort of be part of uh, the gma family if you will right, at right. times when sort of there'd be a crossover so i think i think at one point those two were excited about that possibility of just sort of Changing the show up and making it um, more of a popular culture crossover, which I know Mike Greenberg wanted, but then you are correct, Mike Greenberg is the one who initiated wanting to get his own solo vehicle or a vehicle where he was the star of, and that obviously caused an immense amount of creative tension between those two guys. Mike Greenberg went out and got a different agent than Mike Golick. yeah money always is a factor when it comes to this stuff, so you are correct. this was a talent initiated decision where it lies in management though of course is that in order for talent to make this decision you need management to sign off john skipper is the one who signed off on mike greenberg being the star of his own morning show so the success or failure of this is is directly on john skipper at the moment this show is not a success not even close i've had certainly talked about this on my podcast many times with Miller, uh, I know you have talked about this as well. I am on record of saying that I don't believe the show has um, will succeed long term. I believe that from the beginning. I don't think a Mike Greenberg fronted vehicle can be a long term linear success at all. So no disrespect to Greenberg, uh, Michelle Beadle, and Jalen Rose, who are um, who have had success on their own at different places. But I look at it as they they entered the most competitive landscape in television, Robert, as you know, from all your years on television, they do that in the year of Donald Trump where cable news is essentially on steroids yep. and there was so much interest in that. So the numbers of the MSNBC's Fox news and CNN's are way up. They do that in an environment where there are some sports specific shows like good morning football and the MLB network, not to mention Fox, even just pulling, you know, whatever they're pulling 40, 50,000 viewers, it's still viewers. So they enter this, this most incredibly competitive space. And they enter it with the host, in this case, Mike Greenberg, who, while a capable broadcaster and very skilled, is not someone, in my opinion, most people wake up and say, I want to hear what Mike Greenberg has to say on this story. And if you don't have that person, or if you don't have this incredible chemistry ensemble, which is tough to find and you hopefully have to get lucky, I don't know what the compelling reason is for a half million people to watch that show and in the end i think they have to beat what was there previously and i think they have to top it so if they're not getting four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand 500,000 people watching that show every day then in my opinion the show's a failure
0: yeah i had uh with with your boy glass beagle i had uh, patrick Crakes, who who uh is doing his own consultant thing now but uh, used right. to work at yeah. fox sports fox, and he, yeah. he, he very clearly said that uh, you know he thinks the number is 500,000 that you know that's the, I think that's fair
1: yeah patrick's a smart guy i think that's yeah. That's uh, I don't know if ESPN is going to ever reveal their internal projections, but you know people like Patrick, I respect and like because uh, you know they're they're not um, what's the word I'm looking for. I mean they're rational when it comes to this stuff. You know, there's a lot of people, of course, on like social media who are going to be like, the oh, show yeah. got 280 thousand viewers yesterday. You should cancel. I mean, don't cancel shows like yeah, a month yeah. in after you've spent all that money. But if you're a guy like Patrick who's worked in this, who understands what you got to sell and stuff. Like he knows, like and he I think he'd have a good sense. Like, you gotta you gotta average five hundred thousand viewers, you know, let's say eighteen months into this, or if you're, you know, the Connor Shells of the world and the Jimmy Pitaros, then you got a really hard decision. It's like, you know, we're throwing fifteen million, fourteen million a year at the talent, we're not getting numbers, you know. Is there a solution where we cut date and get a similar number and it's just not costing us as much, But they're in a really, Robert, they're in a really terribly tricky spot because they built this downtown studio
0: right. essentially
1: for that show. Now, you know, the Bomani Jones Pablo Torre show is going to be there. They'll do other shows from there. But that's, that's the signature show for the studio. And if that show busts, I mean, it's not just, it's not just a programming mistake. Then you started getting into, like, some infrastructure mistakes. So that's,
0: there is a lot
1: riding on that show, far more than the show itself, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so I, uh, you know, the studio cost is a, you know, for, I understand that, that this will be converted into the number of employees and human toll, but you know, all those things are rounding errors versus, uh, you know, uh, U.S. Open tennis, uh, you know, rights fees. So I don't, I don't get, uh, you know, as, a, a, you know, in terms of ESPN the business, I, I don't get uh, too worked up about those numbers, but uh, or, you know, for the studio cost. But uh, uh, Patrick, I, I did want to add. Patrick thinks that they will they will wait and be very patient, not just until, not just until NFL season begins, but like way into NFL season. um, Yeah, it it behooves
1: new management to wait because new management is part not Pataro, but everybody else is part of the people who greenlit this. So I think they're going to give it they're going to give it as much time as they humanly can to succeed. And they should honestly, if they can do this, and they're not always good at this, they should avoid avoid the noise out there that's pounding the show because the noise isn't going to go away and they should do their best to not react to that. But ESPN has had some trouble in terms of when to react to noise and not, not to react.
0: I I think so far they're doing pretty, my, 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 in my estimation, they're, they're doing a good job of, uh, I agree. They
1: have have not, they have generally speaking, not played, um, not played into the game of the shows bust and trying to overreact to that. I, I agree with you.
0: All right, sw- switching gears. Uh, what What are your thoughts on uh, on uh, ESPN hiring hiring Witten for the uh, Monday Night Football booth? And uh, does Does Chris Collinsworth need to worry about uh, never having played for the Dallas Cowboys?
1: Oh, you feel like maybe Emmett Smith, uh, Drew Pearson uh, for the NBC booth or something? Yeah, something, something. Um, or maybe we'll go more current. Uh, uh, Dez, yeah, maybe
0: Dez if Cowboys. Dez doesn't sign.
1: Dez Bryant on actually Sunday Night Football would be kind of interesting. Um. You know, I I, I don't know. Um, I can tell you that having talked to some ESPN sources, Jason Witten had an incredibly great audition with Joe Tessitore. Um, And not that he was Tony Romo and like sort of predicting plays or anything, but they just thought he had a really good personality. He told some great stories and they saw a lot of potential in him. They saw somebody who with a lot of reps and a lot of practice before the season could have a pretty good first year and grow into the job there's no doubt that they love the fact that he played for the most famous franchise for 15 years. He's, um, he's current. So he's played with the play, essentially all the players in the league, except for the rookies this year. And that's always something networks love because the, their analysts can, can speak about things um, in, you know, in a real currency sense and maybe like uh and no, no, I think Collinsworth is terrific, but you know, Collinsworth hasn't played in 20 years. Right. Jason Witten has. So, I think it's an interesting signing. I, given some of the other names that were out there, you know, the Matt Hasselbacks and Randy Mosses and Kurt Warner's, Brian Greasy's, I mean, all of those could have been fine and, uh, and would have been very sort of traditional picks. So this is a little bit of an outside-the-box pick, and that this is not somebody anybody expected. It's not a quarterback. It's a tight end. Uh, I think the big question now coming up, of course, will be, do they decide to add a third person? Either in the booth next to Witten or on the field, like a field analyst, uh, in addition to a sideline reporter. And that's where I think the ESPN brokers are sort of spending their time right now. Um, but they got, you know, Robert, the one thing about this crop of people who were available this offseason, there wasn't a Romo. Right. You know, there wasn't, you know, Bruce Arians, Witten, um, Joe Thomas you know, potentially good broadcasters, interesting guys, but there's no paint they are not Peyton Manning or Romo or somebody who's a big household name. Yep. So given that Gruden went this year, it was a little harder for ESPN to hit a home run in terms of name recognition, but I don't mind that as much. You know, I'm a huge Lewis Riddick fan. I think that's ESPN's best NFL signing in the last fifteen years. Um and he and somebody else I have great respect for, Mike Mayak have always said, and they're correct on this, that networks do networks fall over themselves to try to get the biggest name and not necessarily the best broadcaster. Right. Um, I'm not saying Witten's not a big name, but, you know, it, it, it seems like they made this decision on somebody they thought could be really good, not necessarily somebody who is just famous like Ray Lewis.
0: Right, right, right. So uh, the... Uh... Do you have much interest in the uh, the NBA versus NFL battleground? Is that something you'd be interested in talking about?
1: I, we can talk about it. I just think it's it's kind of a dopey argument in that I, I love the NBA. It, I, the, I, I enjoy watching the NBA more than I enjoy watching football, but the NBA is not catching the NFL in my lifetime. It's silly to compare the two sports when it comes to popularity and viewership because the, the NFL is far more popular in terms of that traditional metric than the NBA. Um, a, you know, horrible Thursday Night Football game is still going to draw more than the games that we are seeing now in the second round of the playoffs. So anybody who's just, you know, a lot of people like to just play the narrative game. Oh, sure, sure. You know, just sort of creating these fake debates. No no one, there's no one intelligent who is saying right now that the NBA is a more popular television sport than the NFL. If they're saying that, they just don't know their, their facts and data that said the NBA is absolutely I think in ascendancy I think the viewership numbers this year for the NBA um uh bode well at the singular moment for the long-term deal ESPN signed we have a yep. long-term go on that but I think that's been a positive and the same for Turner and so I think it's been a great time for the NBA I saw our buddy Mulda Hill trying to say you know don't judge the sports health on um Playoff rings, but you know, as much as I love Mike, if Fox had the NBA, we'd be getting Terry Hines and the rest of the crew would be flooding our uh, inboxes with with ratings, and he know info, and he knows that. So I think it's I think the NBA is a great story this year. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, four years from now when LeBron's a little bit older, to see if they can sort of still hold these kind of um, numbers. But I think you know the sport has. You've seen this in Sports Business Daily and Journal. The sports median age is low. It's global. It's 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 the best social media sport by far. So I think it's an ascendant sport. I, I I would not be surprised. Let's say twenty years from now, if the NFL is number one and then the NBA is the number two sport in this country, you know the NBA passing college football. That that might not surprise how, how, me. But, how it's, many,
0: how many but years? I mean, it's not going to
1: pass the NFL. I, I'm going to let. I, I don't know if this would happen, but let's say I would not be surprised if let's say twenty years from now. When you're doing all your averages and metrics, the NBA is a more popular sort of viewing sport than college football, which is clearly the number two sport in this country. Um, Do I think it will pass the NFL? I do not. It will not pass it, in my opinion, in my lifetime. I don't see it. Um, The NFL has so many advantages to it. It's a -a once-a-week play. Um, It has a gigantic head start in terms of popularity over the NBA. It, It doesn't have nearly as many games. There's just so many things inherent to, I think, the the television aspect. You know, we're assuming that television will still at least have the playoffs and the finals for these sports. Right. Um, there's too many advantages, I think, that the NFL has over the NBA for that to ever flip. But, you know, it's, we should just be – I feel like as a sports fan, we should just be psyched. There's never been a better time to, like, get all of these games available to you if you're willing to pay for it. So – um, so yeah, I'm not really into the debate because, like you, I don't think there's a debate. There's the number one, the NFL, and then there's everybody
0: chasing the NFL. Yeah, so I'm 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 over here doing uh, some iteration of exactly gif <laughs> whatever uh, whatever the uh, right. I agree with that. Have you, you gotten
1: happy. a lot? Of, I mean, have you gotten a lot of this and people actually like uh, yeah, emailing um, you to say the NBA is passing the NFL? I mean, it's just yes,
0: yes, more. Well, more, that that's insane. More that's than I should. Like, and uh, yeah. so, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting to me from a from another dynamic, uh, and that is, um, you know, the, the NBA talking trash about the NFL. Uh, you know, I I considered that fair game. They're punching they up. And always, yep. yeah, yeah. punch, punch up. up. But yeah. I I grew up under similar rules of decorum as you, where you know the NFL shouldn't punch back. And, right. Uh, but, but, um, but but
1: you know, it probably bothers them a little bit because the NBA gets some great press and. You know, they want to. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't engage in it either. It's silly. But, but I have seen some NFL people sort of, I, I, you know, I'm, remind everybody they're the uh, the ten thousand pounds gorilla.
0: You know, they're 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 winning me over. So I got into it with a with a, you know with Mulvihill and some some PR people on Twitter about should they should they bother fighting back? And, uh, and those guys actually won me over. And, and and who really won me over were the people sending me, uh, you know, the stuff that says well. When, uh, when when Scott Van Pelt and ESPN began fighting back uh against the uh the F S one narrative uh, the media stopped parroting all the, you know, the goofy FS1 talking points. That slowed Correct. down. That slowed I, way, I way down. And I, I have to admit, it's hard to argue with results. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, Jamie being gone and the, uh, and the Fox-Disney deal do- doesn't, doesn't hurt any of that either. But it had slowed down prior to that, and it's a valid point uh, that I have to recognize. So, so my question is, like, if the NFL should fight back, how should they fight back on this? What does that look like?
1: Well, yeah. The one thing I, I have to think about that the one the one thing I've always believed with ESPN FS one talent should fight back on talent, and management should fight back on management. One of ESPN's biggest mistakes during Jamie Horowitz always sort of putting that stuff out there was ESPN should have been firing on Jamie Horowitz, should have been firing on on corporate stuff, and then you let the talent. You know, if uh, if Clay Travis or you know. Uh, yeah, rock. it really would it be him yeah whatever if these guys are sort of saying talking shit about uh the network well then let the van Pelt's and the adnan burks and the Sam Ponders fire back let talent right. fight talent which i think so you can you fight on that battlefield and management should always fight management um on the larger field the fpnpr in particular never did that and that's and that's sort of the way you should fight um in terms of the nfl I mean, the NFL just, I mean, Robert, it's just, it makes me laugh. The, all the NFL has to do is just put out any kind of release on audience <laughs> and that it's They're going to end the debate. I mean, the draft, the overall draft numbers, if you want to use either Pete two or tuning into the draft for a minute, or even the averages are going to beat the NBA playoffs right now. It's just, yep. you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, I guess if you're in the NFL, you could remind people of this, but it it's, it's it's not really a need of reminder. I mean, the NFL is a far more popular national sport than the NBA. The NBA has certainly has certainly grown in my opinion, in the last decade. And it has, I think the more um, marketable and known stars like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, et cetera, because the sport sort of pushes individual marketing and you can see these guys they are not under helmets, but in terms of like, what sport has the hold on the country? There's just no other. There's no debate for it. I, if I was the NFL, I'd be more worried in terms of PR about how you handle these issues of exploiting cheerleaders,
0: and head trauma,
1: uh, and health and concussion and head trauma than I would about anybody from the NBA office putting out numbers against you. I mean, those, those are the issues the NFL better better focus on as compared to these dopey television viewership because they're gonna, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA is not getting 25 million for a Sunday afternoon game next year. When, you know, the Packers play the Patriots, the NFL is going to get that. It's just no contest.
0: Yeah. So I, again, I, I agree with you. That That is my bias as well, but I've gotten feedback that kind of goes like this, you know, maybe, maybe guys like you and Richard tune it out easily, but not everyone does. So we have to fight back. And, and I think that actually might be true. Sadly, I, maybe. I don't, I don't yeah. Think.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, I, I, I am the first to concede that, I'm sometimes so inside the sports media bubble that, you know, I probably don't have a really great feel for if the average uh, woman or man reads a story in Billings, Montana and how they react to it and how much they take in. So I, 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 certainly get that. I understand where they're coming from. And the whole world today is you do want to shape narratives. I do think, and I'm certainly guilty of this too. I do think a lot of sort of these narratives and all this other stuff exists, um, you know, exists on Twitter as sort of a social media story. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's not as, it's probably never as big as people think uh, at least within the leagues or the networks in terms of what the impact of this stuff is away from the social media bubble.
0: Yeah. I'm I, You know, I'm completely with you kind of all the way around because as a sports fan, I think this is, this is, you know, other than the fact like when I turn on the TV and I don't see anyone in the stands anymore, that seems to be a, an ongoing thing other than the small arena you know n f l or excuse me n b a playoffs um the the t v landscape is great basketball is great, football is great, I love college football too everything is great i've got access to more than I've ever had and so I, I just get kind of incensed at the uh the fake this versus that, but the fake this versus that is very popular yeah, I
1: mean again, you know
0: we're in an era now where there's really not a day that goes by where the President
1: of the United States doesn't proclaim something to be fake news or you know question um, the validity of a of a news story so I get I get I understand sort of the the importance of narratives and/ or correcting narratives but like I would say on this one I just I, I think the I think the NBA has a long way to go to get to the NFL in terms of an interesting NBA viewership question I'd be really curious to see if it's Cavs Warriors again if they can maintain the kind of really great numbers they've gotten for the last couple of finals Absolutely. or if there's any kind of uh, fatigue given the the matchup will be the same
0: yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well so I'll get you out of here with this uh, a couple of questions about A-Rod one uh, how do you think he's doing in the Sunday night booth and uh, two what did you think about uh, ESPN letting him go on uh, Francesca's show
1: I, I think I've honestly seen two innings of Sunday night baseball and um uh, Richard, you're breaking you know, my heart here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's not really I'm – not, I'm not the biggest Sunday Night Baseball watcher after the concede. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it seemed to me, and obviously I've read enough about this, that the, the the focus of the broadcast is basically Alex Rodriguez. They're making it the Alex Rodriguez show. And I guess if you're ASPN, that's smart because he's your sort of your biggest draw and your star there. It's kind of incredible that um, – for a guy who lied to so many reporters, including ESPN reporters, that he's now become this media darling at ESPN. But I think if you're ESPN, that's the play. You know, he's your you 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 basically you change the entire broadcast booth to a seat to Alex Rodriguez, who essentially also helped bring in Matt and as play by play person. So that doesn't surprise me. I, I think that booth will be honestly, it'll be as fine as uh, you know, Shulman... Schilling and Mendoza, Schulman Boone and Mendoza, I feel like those boots are kind of, you know, they're both sort of capable decent boots. Yeah, um so,
0: so for me uh it just works out that uh Vascurgeon is the big upgrade for me personally. If,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean I think the way you, the way you're going to judge Sunday Night baseball is if you like Matt Vascurgeon you're probably going to like the boots. I know there's people who really just sort of dislike Alex Rodriguez Right, just and can't see past that for his broadcasting. If if you dismiss, and I'm not saying it's easy, but if you dismiss the all the off the field stuff on Alex Rodriguez, I think he's been a quality broadcaster. I think he loves the game. I think he does his research. I think he does his prep. I don't expect him ever to say anything that's very critical of players. He's uh, he's he's got a little bit of Gruden in that sense, but um, but I particularly loved him with Fox on the studio, where I thought he. Um, you know he he could sort of comment on multiple issues around the league as opposed to a specific singular game. I really liked him in that spot. So he's certainly been a good hire for both Fox and ESPN. And the fact that they're sharing the guy, I think, is just a pretty fascinating, you know, t- sports media story. And that it seems to it, it seems to be working out and for that booth for Fox MLB Network and ESPN. So it's like a really interesting example of you can talent share. And everybody seems to win off the talent share. Um, in terms of um, the Francesa one, I mean, it's very, very inside baseball. But it's kind of interesting because, as you know, for such a long time, ESPN did not allow any of its people to be on Mike Francesca's uh, show in New York. They've right. you know, gone, gone back and forth over the years. Uh, Francesa and I think he would be in the right on this. Was pretty pissed off that ESPN was not allowing some people who had been on a show for a long time. No big deal to me with the exception of that. I think Alex Rodriguez has a relationship with the other um, ESPN show competing against Francesca. Michael K is the voice of the Yankees. Yep. So that is kind of A-Rod giving Michael Kay the middle finger <laughs> um, of doing that. Um, so that's interesting. And then lastly, it does show you that, again, and this is such a traditional ESPN thing, the rules do not apply to everybody equally. Yep. So if Alex Rodriguez wants to do something, he gets to do it in the same way if a John Gruden, a Stephen A. Smith, back in the day, a Skip Bayless wanted to do something, they're allowed to do stuff in the way a Jane McManus, a Brett McMurphy could not.
0: Yep, it's uh, it's good to be superstar talent. Richard, speaking of superstar talent, thanks for joining the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, wow. what a what a quite a, quite a ridiculous segue by you, uh, Robert. But I appreciate it all the time. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, you know what? So tell me, what's your what's your favorite uh, favorite thing about uh, being in, being in Toronto and uh, being in the athlete, being at the Athletics so far?
1: Oh, uh, well, I mean, Toronto, for anybody who's listening to this, who's been there knows it's an amazing city. Um, Great culture, great, uh, great people, great food, um, true diversity when you walk the streets. Um, It really I mean, I love New York. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. It's the closest city that I've been to. That reminds me of New York, except it's more manageable, probably cleaner. Um, It's going to be certainly a big adjustment for my uh, wife and family. I'm not going to say we're not anxious about it. I mean, You know, I've never lived in another country before outside of like, you know, three or four weeks in an Olympic. So, um, but the people uh, up there could not be nicer to me. Um, I'm really so into Toronto sports right now. So that's really fun for me. It's like, uh, you know, sort of opened up this whole new life. And so we'll see. You know, I'm going to give it a shot. It's not something I ever expected at this point in my career, uh, but I'm doing it. As for the athletic, they, they have basically allowed me to do the same exact stuff that I've done at Sports Illustrated. Um, they've been great to work for. You have so much autonomy. They've hired so many incredible people. So it's just been cool for me to just, like, read the copy of the people who, um, who I now work with who right. used to be, like, people around the country. Um, I'm rooting for it, obviously, to succeed long term, given that I now have a vested interest in it. And I think just to sort of, you know, finish up and make it short, the, the whole ball game is can we convince enough people, particularly maybe those under the age of 40, to look at The Athletic in the same way you look at Netflix in that, you know, $35 a year. Yep. It's important for me to sort of spend my money to get this quality information slash entertainment in the way I think most Americans at this point have made the decision that Netflix is worth me paying these guys however much I pay them each month for it. So that's the big ball game: is it's, it's, can you change enough people's behavior so that they'll pay for it? I, I, I say this obviously with a bias, but but I think it's honest. I don't think the issue is the athletics content. I think the athletics content is money. It's just a question of can you convince enough people to to go into their pocket to purchase this product because it is important to them on a day-to-day basis the way people have done that for the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, Obviously, I'm rooting for it. I'm going to do everything I can to help, but I think that question still at this point remains unanswered.
0: I uh, I I wish you luck. I'm I'm rooting for them too. I mean, I, th- I think you know I have some PR issues with the Athletic, but there's so many great people working there. That, yeah, uh, and
1: I and I know you I know your I know your opinion on Alex Maylor and what he said at the time. Listen, he has apologized for that, and I believe his apology. And I know he could take if he could if he could he would have <laughs> absolutely take that back in a second. But I do think that they've made great hires, and I think if nothing else, if you read the Athletic. I think it's very clear that people who work there, including the founders, like sort of love and care about sports journalists. Um, you just, every day on the site, you know that just from reading the stuff. That said, honestly, no guarantees because yeah. we, great you know, we, 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 we've seen other incredible publications with great talent and great writers and great reporters that have not uh, succeeded. I do hope the business roots for it, though, because – I think you have to root for a paid model, because I think that's the only way journalism can, can, uh, can survive long-term.
0: Yeah, so uh, I didn't talk to you at all about radio. So it, at this point, for you personally, is radio your favorite thing to do out of all the things that you do get to do?
1: No, sleep is my favorite thing to do, Robert, with two <laughs> little kids. Um, that's my favorite thing to do. Um,
0: no, uh, writing is still my favorite thing to do.
1: Um, I, I do love it, though. I mean, it's you know, I, I thought I was going to go into radio, when I was in my twenties, my first big job out of uh, school was um, co-hosting a drive time show in Buffalo. I basically won this tryout when I was 21 and I got beyond just incredibly lucky. And so that's what I thought I was going to do. But, you know, I looked at the road ahead and back then, you know, it's like the idea of like working in 10 different cities over 12 years did not seem super appealing. Um, You know, at that time, the money was really horrible. I mean, it was sort of just a week-to-week kind of struggle. I mean, I, they were clearly underpaying me uh, in Buffalo, but I didn't care because I was on the air. So it's, it's always been something I've loved. It's my favorite medium. I love – that's why I love podcasting. I just love the audio medium. So, I, I, I mean, this is like – this just sort of was such a fluke thing. The station um, that I'm going to be working for, I love. there. It's not hot take radio. It's not argument-style radio. It's right. uh, very long segments. A lot of smart people as guests. So uh, I'm really excited about it, and I certainly love doing it. But I think still at the end of the day, if I had a choice between the two, I I think my choice would still be in front of a laptop and
0: write. Okay, well, now now I'll say goodbye without uh, lavishing any praise on you. Thank you for joining the podcast, Richard. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Robert, I wish you the best of luck. When you have your future guests like Miller and Glass Beagle getting more downloads than this one. Take care. Oh, uh, that's not going to
0: happen. Oh, you know what? Ryan. <laughs> Ryan is a surprising draw. I can't figure it out. But he he is. I'm going to leave this well, in the podcast. All, all, his, all his buddies at Fox Sports
1: are downloading it. So, of course, he's going to get a lot of uh, maybe, maybe, downloads. Maybe. He's, he's got Mark Silverman and and um, Terry Hines and Ann Pennington and the rest of that posse. They
0: yeah, want to hear yeah. what he has to say. You know McCarthy's,
1: uh, McCarthy's going to listen.
0: I'm. I'm. I've gone about programming my podcast entirely the wrong fashion. I should have been targeting the Fox people. I forgot to do that.
1: Should have been tough. Now I'm All listen. Right. I, I will. I. I, I
0: Glass Beagle works.
1: I don't always agree with everything Glass Beagle says. In fact, quite frankly, I probably don't agree with half the things he writes. But I respect the fact that he works really hard and he's very into this world. Uh, and me I too. totally Same. The people. The people who are super passionate about sports media and like really inside. Um. You know, even if they write something I don't particularly love, including about me, I have to always respect, like, that passion because um, I share that, and I think that's pretty cool.
0: Uh, me, me too. Agree. I, I, you know what? I don't know what's wrong with me. I agreed with you way too much today.
1: Yeah. No, this this was the worst embrace debate segment
0: <laughs> we've ever had, Robert. Uh, well, again, always a pleasure. Thank Richard, you for the invite, Robert. Appreciate thank it. you, man. Hey, Richard. So yes, Robert. Uh, when, are you on the, when are you on the radio? Is that a regular every other week thing, or is it just catch us catch can
1: Are you still taping us, Robert? Because I'll be in my podcast mode voice. Um, Stay in podcast we,
0: mode voice. I am yeah. still
1: taping the, uh, the, uh, the show is um, called Primetime Sports, the longest-running uh, sports show in Canada, most uh, listened to as well. The host is Bob McCallum, who's a very, very famous sports radio personality up there. The show runs four to seven every day. Monday through Friday on five ninety Sports Net. And the co-hosts, which are Stephen Brunt, is a very, very famous writer up there and now myself, we are on from five to seven. Um, that's sort of how the show works. So it's Bob in the first hour, either interviewing somebody for an hour or taking calls or having another uh short term guest. And then Stephen Brunt and I are the full time co hosts and we switch off weeks. So for instance, um let's say in June, I may go three weeks in a row as Bob McAllen's co-host and then Brunt would come on for two weeks and then it's back to me. So it's not, it's interesting. It's not like American sports talk where it's like, you know, you get Mike and Mike every day
0: yep.
1: in at least the way this station works is they want a variety of voices on their drive time spot to change it up. So, um, so it's Steven Brunt, uh, who's a very well-known figure in, in Canada and then me. And again, like I said, I could not have gotten more lucky. This is, I have essentially walked into an established, incredibly popular, and incredibly well-respected show. Uh, it, like, it's, I'm not even just trying to be a hype master here. Like, literally, there's very few radio jobs in the country that a person could walk into that are just a better job, and that's what I'm walking into. And that's why, honestly, I couldn't turn the job down.
0: So I'm just curious, like uh, as a result of all this, are you thinking, I'm not being snarky at all, 100% serious. Are you thinking and talking more about hockey now? And is that enjoyable for you? Well, the, the,
1: the great thing about the McAllen show is that it's very much a show on large, broad topics. So we talk about the NFL. We talk about the NFL draft. We'll do business stories. We'll do concussion stories. It's not, you know, the the Maple Leafs need a fourth line, right defenseman, let's do three hours on it. That said, absolutely, I will be talking more hockey than any traditional American sports talk show for certain. And obviously, given that the Leafs are very, very good and a potential Stanley Cup winner over the next couple of years, I have had to ratchet up my hockey knowledge. But I've listened to that show now for the last, I would say, two years every day. I've been reading the Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, the Athletics Toronto site. So while I would never claim to be a quote unquote hockey expert, I, I'm I think I'm a pretty good hockey expert when you would compare it to anybody sort of working in the you know American sports talk media. So the short answer there is yes, but um, but uh, you know I, I'm going to continue to read it, and you know I can pretty much name you know, all the lease lines and defensive pairings, and my knowledge now of the league itself has just gone way, way up. So I have to do that just because I'm going to be working at that station. So the short answer is yes, I'm going to be talking more hockey. But the longer answer for that show is that, you know, they, the primetime show just, you know, you may get one, one um, you know, for example, like, you know, one show on primetime I'd have Bob Ryan for 25 minutes on, the Boston Red Sox. You go Don Banks on the NFL. Then they would bring in Dwayne Casey, the coach of the Raptors, uh, Mike Babcock, the coach of the Leafs. And then they may do like a segment on um, the Blue Jays' upcoming series with like Dan Schulman or John John Morosi. So in that sense, if you're me, that means you got to be good, let's say for 15 minutes in that hockey segment when it comes to hockey. So that's kind of the knowledge I have to have, which means i got to follow all the teams. i got to be current, and i got to really be current on the Leafs. But I don't have to be like a Michael Farber hockey expert, nor will I ever be. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Well, hey, that sounds like fun, and you're, you're about to hit yeah. the, uh, the great Toronto spring weather. So
1: enjoy it. Ah, thank, thank the Lord, yeah. Great city. For anybody who's not been there, uh, come up and visit. It's, uh, get your passport updated. You'll, you'll love it. It really is a great town. All
0: right, now this time I'm just going to kick you off and hang up on you. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Robert. Take care. See ya. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Richard for joining the podcast. I could have talked to him for hours, but sadly, my old man bladder couldn't wait a second longer. I might have to start uh, podcasting like a NASCAR driver. You can find all the past podcasts everywhere but Spotify and Cloudflare. Spotify treats me like Fox Sports PR treats me. And I treat Cloudflare like Fox Sports PR treats me. Thanks for listening.